The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. To Luke chapter number 10, please, and we're going to pick up in verse number 1, Luke chapter number 10, and uh, pick up with verse number 1, and uh, last week, of course, we finished up chapter number 9, and Jesus had an encounter with three individuals, one who said that he wanted to be the disciple of Jesus, uh, but Jesus kind of reminded him, don't just be hasty, uh, don't be frivolous in uh, your, your statements and what you declare is going to happen, uh, for the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head, the foxes have their holes sleep in, the birds their nest, but the Son of Man don't even have a place to lay his head. Then he called another and asked uh, him to follow him. But the other one, of course, said, uh, oh, well, first I need to go take care of some issues and some other things that are taking place. Let me go bury my father and uh, such. And Jesus' response was to let the dead bury the dead. Then another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, said in verse number 61, uh, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And, and Jesus, of course, uh, reminded him not to look back, not to make second plans or a plan B, if you may. And so we've come here to chapter number 10 now, and as the Lord has been dealing with discipleship, the thought of discipleship, throughout chapter 9, he's taught his disciples what it meant to be a disciple. He's called others to be a disciple as well, and that thought even continues on in the chapter number 10 tonight, and so pick up with me in verse number 1, please. After these things, the Lord appointed over 70 also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, nor scrip, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same hour remain, and in the same house, I'm sorry, remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from, from house to house. Um, and verse number eight, and into whatsoever city ye enter, uh, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth to us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto to, to thee, uh, Chorazin, and woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sit, uh, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, shalt thou thrust down to hell. 
he that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. Our Father, we thank you for this evening and the opportunity to be in your house once more. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the events of today already, for the wonderful services you gave us this morning through the teaching of your word. And, and uh, Lord, tonight already as we've gathered together and sang praises to you, Lord, we just thank you and praise you through it. I ask now that you give me the word to speak as I deliver your word tonight and help us to hear from your word, help us to consider the uh, great harvest that lies before us, and uh, Lord, that you might be honored and glorified through everything said and done, and your will be accomplished, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Of course, prior to these passages, we had, as I mentioned, we learned of the three uh, disciples of Jesus that uh, were not willing to take up their cross completely and commit to following him. We alluded to that at the beginning of the message. But we learn from this text that discipleship not only involves following Jesus, but it also involves being a witness for him as well. And uh, Jesus was sent, I mean, in fact, here in chapter number 10 and verse number 16, that last verse we read, uh, he ends with the fact that if a person despises him, he despises the one who sent him. His Father God, of course, was the one who sent him uh, to do his will, and, and the will of the Father would be that none would perish but that all would come to repentance. His desire would be that his gospel would be proclaimed unto the, the most remotest parts of the world and uh, that people everywhere might know him and might be able to trust him as their savior. Jesus, simply put, was sent to redeem us. He was sent so that we might be able to have a relationship with God and be saved. And in much of the same way as Jesus was sent to reach uh, us with salvation and to provide salvation for us, Jesus has sent us to br help bring people to him. Uh, the fact that we're still here on this earth, uh, the fact that we know Christ as our Savior, but he, is, uh, uh, he has elected to still leave us here in this sin-cursed world, uh, it gives us the insight into knowing that he wants us to do his will in getting people the gospel so that they might be saved also. If, if the only reason were to save us so that we might have a home in heaven, he might as well have taken us up to heaven the moment we accepted him. Because at that point, all that salvation is about is a relationship and a communion with him. And the fact that he left us here gives us insight into knowing that the commission that he left uh, back so many years ago to go out to the highways and the hedges and to compel them to come in, the commission that he gave to his disciples as he was ascending into heaven is a commission that still stands for the church and the people of the church to continue on and labor for today. Consider with me Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Verse is probably familiar with you, no doubt, but verse number 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That was the last words of Jesus as he left. Could you imagine someone, maybe your closest loved one, maybe a father or a mother or your spouse, uh, uh, maybe someone that you deeply care about, and you're sitting by their bedside and their departing words before they take their last breath, would you not consider those words to be some of the most important words that they would have ever said to you? And the fact that Jesus said these final words before departing and ascending into heaven and gave this commission to his disciples, it just notes the importance of the Great Commission. And it is, a, it is a commission that is still great today. It is a commission that is still left to every single one of us as believers, even still today. We find this as we continue on through chapter number 10. And I want you to notice tonight as we begin, number one, the call of the Savior. 
And we notice here in verses 1 through 4, it says, And after these things, the Lord appointed another seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. Jesus here, as we continue on studying through this book of Luke, he, he has uh, called to him now 70 other disciples uh, so that he could give them a period of instruction and send them out to the harvest fields that were ripe for harvesting and to be able to compel people and men and women to come to him and trust him as their savior. The commission of these uh, laborers are found in verses 1 and 2 that we just read. There were 70 of them that were ready and prepared and that he was going to instruct to be able to complete and accomplish his cause. These were all volunteers who heard the words of Jesus. These were not folks that got a paycheck by the uh, Jesus Inc., okay? It, these, were, these were folks that had given, given their lives freely and willingly to follow the Lord and do as he would bid them to do. This reminds us of the truth that ministry is not just for a select few, but it is available to all. You might sit here tonight and think, I don't have much to offer the Lord. Well, we don't know anything about these individuals that the Lord sent out, except that they were part of a group of 70. I don't know their names. I don't know their ages. I don't know their backgrounds. I don't know their talents. I don't know what they had to bring to the table, except for their willingness and their faithfulness. And my friends, anyone can be submissive and anyone can be faithful. You don't have to be a certain age to be faithful or willing. You don't have to be a certain, of a certain talent to be faithful and willing. You don't have to be a certain height, praise God for that, to be faithful <laughs> or willing. You just have to be submissive. Be willing to serve the Lord. Remember, the Lord has equipped His church and He's given His church exactly the individuals that it needs to be able to accomplish his work. Yep. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Someone has once wisely said that every saint should be a servant and every member a minister. And my friends, that is the heart that we ought to have. That is the attitude that we ought to strive to hold and, and that we would just be willing and submissive to serve the Lord with our heart in whichever way and however He would call us to do. Here we find the commission under this call of the Lord as He, compa he compels them and He prepares them to be sent out and uh, to be able to spread the word of the gospel wherever He was about to uh, be able to arrive into these cities to where He would go. Of course, uh, the, the way that Jesus had things structured, we could say that he kind of had three men that were part of his inner circle, right? Peter, James, and John. And part, those three men were part of a, a, another group of individuals that were dedicated to him, the 12 apostles as we would know them. And then now we see here that there's 70 also following his ministry, ministry. And we might not know their name, but my friend, let me remind you that God does. And we might, we might not do much in our life to where we would have a national name or a worldwide name in the realm of Christianity. 
But if no one else outside of these walls here tonight ever knows your name, remember Jesus does. And that is good enough for us to serve him for our life and with all of our heart. In fact, their aim wasn't for them to even be known, but their aim was simply to serve their master. They didn't come to Jesus and heed his call so that they could be in the limelight, so that someone could put their name on some marquee somewhere or, or to kind of uh, put on the dog for them or anything like that. These individuals just simply wanted to serve their master. And we find here that Jesus sent them out two by two. So that means there was 35 teams that he had ready to go out into the, to these cities and to be able to accomplish all that needed to be accomplished. It would be a wonderful thing to have 35 teams this Saturday to go out. Hey, it's in the Word of God, folks. Jesus said it. Let's do it. But he sent them out in teams. Can I say tonight also that ministry is always done best together? If, I, if you leave it all up for me to get done, it ain't going to get done very well. But if we come together and co-labor together, the, the Lord can do much more through us in a, in a uh, unified effort than if we try to do it all by ourselves and all alone. We see the commission of these laborers, but also notice, notice the calculation of the laborers here in verse number two also. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. There is a great harvest before us even still today, my friends, but very few laborers. Jesus tells us to respond to this great harvest, but not just by doing tasks or deeds, but he actually tells us to start by prayer. If you're in Bible study, at least in my class, we covered this, and the other classes had the same notes I had, so they should have covered it as well this morning. But no doubt, we, are, we ought to be praying that the Lord would send forth laborers. When I pray, that means that my heart is getting in tune with God, and He's revealing to me what He would want me to do in that end, to that end. See, we could have a whole lot of people jump up and say, I'm willing to do this or I'm willing to do that, but if evidently we would only do what we want to do. That's why we must first pray and seek what the Lord wants us to do first over what we want to do. John 4.35 says, Say not ye that uh, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look onto the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I don't know how one could walk around this, uh, just our, even our region, and not see the great need of the gospel here in our area, let alone when we consider the great need of the gospel around the world. The Global Frontier Missions website states that the amount of North American missionaries being sent out overseas long-term has actually decreased in the past three decades. Missionaries are increasingly being sent from countries like Korea, Brazil, Nigeria, and South Africa, but the U.S. is lagging far behind. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And that's what we must come to the conclusion in, that we are just part of the team. We're working together. 
And if a team works together and if a team is clicking on all cylinders, great things happen. But when a team isn't clicking on all cylinders and the team isn't working together, they fall apart. Now, I say this time of the year is the most wonderful time of the year. I know they reserve that term for, for Christmas season, but I have taken that term and made it for this season because baseball is taking place and March Madness. I mean, that's the best of both worlds, folks. And I was pretty excited this season because when it comes to college sports, my favorite team growing up in Illinois was the University of Illinois fighting Illini. I remember when I was a, a freshman in Bible college, they were one of the best teams in the nation. They should have won the national championship, but the referees, they, they, they just, they ripped them off, folks, and, and gave, the, 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 gave it to North Carolina, the Tar Heels that year. And so, stop it. And uh, so anyway, this year they're finally back in the tournament. They're ranked as a number one seed in one of, uh, in one of the categories or one of the brackets in the tournament. They win their first game pretty handedly, and their game is taking place during church this morning, folks. I almost didn't show up. But I preached this morning, not giving it a thought, because this game is in the bag. And I checked my phone afterwards, and they were the first number one team this tournament to lose already. They're out of the tournament already, folks. I'm not watching basketball anymore. I've already deleted the, 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 the bracket app off of my phone. I don't care any longer. This is ridiculous. My kids are, are like, yes, praise God. <laughs> Evidently, I didn't watch the game, but I can tell you this. Being a, as good of a team as they were, evidently, they didn't play as a team today. I can promise you that. If I were to go back and watch the game and watch, the, watch video of it, I, we, would, we would be able to pick up where they didn't play as a team. And it cost them the game. It cost them the tournament. All I'm saying tonight, folks, is the Lord tells us here that we are laborers together. And when I play my part well and do as I ought to on the team, and you play your part well and do your part as, as you ought to on the team, then everything will work out just as the Lord planned it to. But when I slack, or when you slack, it brings trouble. And it brings to, point, to the point where it isn't going to be accomplished as smoothly as it could be. Notice the concern for these laborers as well in verses 3 through 4. Jesus said, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves, carry neither purse nor script nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. As part of the instruction, Jesus mentions that the laborers are going to face dangers along the way, and he likens them to be, to, as being lambs that are being sent out amongst wolves. The danger is spoken of in verse number three here. And as Jesus sends them out, he warns them that there will be those that strive to, to hinder them to keep them from being able to accomplish his work. In the Bible, Jesus is referred to as a shepherd. And often in Scripture, God's people are referred to as sheep, and false teachers are represented by wolves. See, Jesus wants to send so that the work can be accomplished, but wolves want to take so that the work will be hindered. Matthew 7, 15 says, Beware of false prophets, which cometh uh, to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Acts 20, verse tw number 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Notice the counsel he gives them, though, here in verse number 4. In verse number 4, in the second part of his instruction, Jesus advises his disciples on how to successfully carry out their mission. 
And one thing he tells them to do is to travel light. Notice what he says here. He says, carry neither purse, nor script, nor shoes. Jesus sends them out, instructing them to carry pretty much nothing. This is very similar to when Jesus sent out the twelve as well, as we've already studied in Luke chapter 9 and verse number 3. When he mentions the word purse here, it is not like my daughter has on the front row, or you ladies normally carry around necessarily. A purse was a type of container that would be carried uh, in one's sash or on one's belt. It would be like a wallet, yes, but uh, men and women would have carried this, of course. But he's saying, don't carry a purse. He, and he says, don't carry a script. And this was a leather sack in which the traveler or shepherds carried their provisions. A script is similar to what we would consider to be a knapsack today and typically, typically would have been carried over the shoulder. When he says not to carry any shoes, what he's saying is don't pack an extra pair. He's, uh, he's, instru- he's not telling them to go barefoot. He's just saying use what you already have. Don't pack another pair in case one falls apart. Can I say what he's truly saying is simply this, trust me to provide for you. He says travel lightly, but he also tells them to travel quickly. Notice the last part of verse number four. And salute no man, by the way. The urgency of the task that was laid before them is demonstrated in the fact that Jesus has commanded them to salute no one along the way. Nothing was allowed to distract them from their mission. Consider again what we spoke of last week in Luke 9, verses 59 and 60. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. So number one tonight, we've seen the call of the Savior. But number two tonight, notice the conduct of the servants. As we read down through verses 5 through 12, and for the sake of time, we won't reread them all right now. But Jesus continues to command these 70 70 on how to complete their mission. He gives them a couple of sets of instructions. One is when uh, they are greeting others, and one when they are rejected by others as well. The instructions when they are greeting others are found in verses 5 through 9. In verses 5 through 6, he says that they ought to bless them, and Jesus instructs the disciples to seek a place to stay and to enter in with a greeting of peace when they arrive into every new town. This greeting is an offering of goodwill from God, if you may. It's a reflection of the concept of the Hebrew shalom, meaning peace. He even tells them in verses 7 through 8 also, as he instructs them on how to interact and to greet one another, he instructs them to eat with them as well. I like that command. And uh, he says, enter into the, with them and sit out and eat a meal with them. And Jesus is advising them when they stay in the house to accept the meals that were provided to, uh, for them. And the expression uh, here is, uh, as he speaks even, uh, let's see, in verse number uh, 8, he, he says, uh, in whatsoever city you enter, uh, I'm sorry, go to verse number uh, 7, in the same house uh, remain uh, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire, go not from house to house. That expression of the worker being worthy of their wages is common throughout the New Testament. Paul even reiterated this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18. The disciples, though, were to view the actions of these people being hospitable and and caring and providing for them as if it were the Lord being the one to lay these things in their lap. Think of Elijah at the brook Cherith, how the Lord used ravens and such to be able to provide meals for him. We say, wow, God really did a miraculous thing. 
Well, in essence, God's doing the exact same thing here for his disciples as they come along, just using human instruments as well. We find that uh, he says not only do we bless them and eat with them, but he also instructs them to heal them in verse number 9. And heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. With this last word of teaching, Jesus summarizes the message, his message and ministry uh, of the disciples and is equipping them with power to heal. The disciples were commanded to heal those who would receive them. But unfortunately, not everyone was going to receive them with open arms. Sometimes they would be rejected. And so the Lord gives instructions on how to continue the mission if one were to reject them. And we find this in verses 10 through 12. But in whatsoever city ye enter, and, you, and re, they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the, same, of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in the day of Sodom than for that city. He says to wipe the dust off their feet. That is just simply a sign of their rejection of Jesus. You might have been one that have gone out and, and uh, helped us go knocking on doors and, and witnessing in our community. And if you've done it for a very long period of time at all, you might have encountered times where people have slammed the door in your face or been, been kind of rude to you and such. And I've always said to people when, it's, when that type of thing happens, remember this, they're rejecting Jesus, not you. I mean, it feel, might feel like that they are just simply rejecting you outright, and you are the instrument in which God is using to deliver his message, and they are, you are the object of their wrath, yes, at that time, physically speaking, but they truly are just simply rejecting the Lord. The disciples experienced the same thing. As they went in the cities, some people would not receive the message, and Jesus just simply says, wipe the dust off, their, off your feet, simply as a sign of them uh, not accepting uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We find this even in Acts 18, verse number 6, and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own head. I am clean. From henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. But then he also tells us this in verse number 12. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in the day of Sodom than for that city. Jesus tells the disciples that, hey, there's going to be a judgment coming. But in essence, he's saying this, leave the judgment to me. We can get in the flesh and we, want to, we get upset at what has just happened to us as we've experienced those things. But when we remember that they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting Jesus, then we leave the judgment up to Jesus as well and not get out, been out of shape. The last thing we want to do as, as witnesses for the Lord is to burn a bridge so that one might not come to the Lord later on. We don't want to get to be that way. Lamentations 4, 6 actually says, For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than uh, the punishment of the sin of Sodom. That was overthrown in a moment, and no hands stayed on her. But lastly this evening, we've already seen the call of the Savior and the conduct of the servants, but notice lastly the criticism of the skeptical. In verses 13 <clears throat> through 16, 
We read, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, and woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that heareth despi- he that despiseth me despi- uh, despiseth you. I'm sorry, despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. The discourse ends here with Jesus pronouncing judgment on several regions of cities, and he says, first off, in verses 13 and 14, uh, "Woe to Chorazin and Bethsaida." Now, let's make sure we're all on the same page here, because sometimes biblical words are, are not always understood. I remember when I was a child singing, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. When I was a kid, I'm thinking to myself, little ones belong what does that even mean? How do, how are little, are they like wiener dogs or something? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I was seeing myself as a little child, and I'm not elongated. Like, this song doesn't make any sense. That's not even a Bible word, right? Sometimes we don't get things, and one example of that is not only illustrated through my lack of understanding, but through a professor in a, uh, a, a, a Texas uh, uh, class of psychology of emotions, the professor wanted to know what the opposite of happy was. One of the students raised their hand and said, well, the opposite of happy is sad. And then the professor asked and said, well, that's a great answer. Well, what is the opposite of depression? And one, another student raised their hand quickly and said, well, of course, elation. Uh, and uh, uh, one of the other students had said, Professor said, that's a great answer. Well, what about this? What is the opposite of woe? Quickly, one boy stood up and shouted, giddy up! And uh, sometimes we just don't get it. But when Jesus is saying woe unto these cities, it is not a giddy, uh, giddy up or a hold on there, hold your horses. He's saying it is a negative thing. After all that Jesus did and the messages that he preached, these two towns still did not accept the signs and the miracles that Jesus had performed and that were used to prove that he was the Messiah. John 12, verses 47 through 49 says, And if any man hear my word and believe not, I judge him not. For uh, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and rejecteth uh, and, and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. The whole purpose of Jesus' miracles and his preaching was to, hope, to hopefully point people to the Father. He gives an, an, a historical example here in verse number 13 where he says that it been the mighty works, if these same mighty works had been done in the cities of Tyre and Sidon, that they would have quickly repented, that they would have found themselves in sackcloth and ashes. And these woes are directed against specific cities in the Galilean region where the response to Jesus' work had been negative. And the cities are compared unfavorably to the unrighteous Old Testament cities of Tyre and Sidon. 
But also he gives a contemporary warning in verse number 14. But it shall be more tolerable. What a, what a judgment would come. It'd be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for these cities who had heard Jesus themselves and still rejected. He goes on to give a woe towards Capernaum as well in verse number 15. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. After completing the, lo- the woes to Chorazin and, 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 and to Bethsaida, Jesus turns his attention to Capernaum. The fate of this Galilean city, which served as the unofficial headquarters of Jesus' ministry, would be that, no better than that of Chorazin and Bethsaida. Consider Luke 13 and verse number 28. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. This is kind of, Capernaum was kind of the place where Jesus uh, just kind of made, uh, made home, if you may. And this was his headquarters, if you may. And many preaching, many uh, wondrous works and, and preaching of the word was done there. And yet they were not willing to believe. What's the scripture say something about the prophet was without, uh, without uh, respect or honor in his own home? And the same con- concept is there with Capernaum as well. I think of an uh, article that was published in the USA Today in 2002. They had interviewed 300 survivors or family members of the victims of 9-11. And the, con- the, the paper concluded after, uh, after interviewing these 300 survivors and family members of the victims of 9-11 that those who immediately ran for safety without delay were the ones who survived and those who, de- who delayed running for safety when the towers were hit were the ones who perished. You say, Pastor, what's that have to do with anything? The same is often true in our lives when it comes to Christianity or spiritual matters. The, 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 the quicker one turns to Jesus, the greater opportunity they normally have to actually trust Him and be saved. That's why children are, are, are much more likely to be saved in a young age than if someone were to wait till they get become an adult. In a, in a country like we live in today, in America, the fact that we have the, the, the Bible and the gospel so readily available, I'm here to tell you, my friends, that it, it behooves each and every individual to quickly turn to Jesus the first time that they hear it, than to rather, rather than to delay. But notice the witness of the 70 here in verse number 16 as we close. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, he that despiseth me despiseth him. That sent me. This is another uh, iteration of the authority that the disciples had been given. If someone rejected the disciples or anyone preaching the gospel, he said ultimately they are rejecting Jesus. Whoever rejects Jesus is rejecting the Father, the God whom the Jews had already claimed to follow. Think of Luke 9 and verse number 48, and said unto them, Whatsoever shall receive, whosoever, I'm sorry, shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. Whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 8, He therefore that despiseth, uh, despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us the Holy Spirit. So as I close tonight, I wonder, are we like those in Capernaum who have heard but have not yet turned? Am I willing to take my place as a witness 
for the Lord. We've been talking about discipleship. We've been talking about our, our tasks or duties as we just commit ourselves and fully uh, give ourselves to the Lord's work. If that is the case, then we must go. I'm going to say it again. We must go. There is not one disciple who misses out on this command of going. There's just simply not. If we are going to claim to be a disciple of Jesus, we must go. We've got to be a witness. Now, there's several opportunities for us to do that. We can show up at a visitation time on Thursday or Saturday. But more importantly than even that, my friends, is that we are already and willing to be a witness wherever we're at. Taking the opportunities that the Lord gives us. And if we're going to do that, we must be prepared. A way to be prepared is to carry gospel tracts with you. To have the Bible app downloaded on your smartphone if you've got one. To be ready to use it and, how, and be familiar with the verses. To be able to show someone how they could know Christ as their Savior. But to just simply sit by idly and not to, to, to be a witness at all is to, be not, to, to not be a disciple. Because a disciple of the Lord has been commanded to go. We must go. Jesus has commanded for every believer to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. Here's another thing then. If we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, does that mean I have to be a missionary? No. As I even mentioned in my class this morning, we can either be a go missionary or a co-missionary. We can either go ourselves to the foreign field or we can co-labor with them. We can come into, uh, into partnership and teamwork with them and support one another financially so they might go. It is our responsibility to fulfill this monumental task that lies before us as a church. Who else is going to do it if we don't? You think the lost world is going to go tell others about Jesus? Do you, think, do you think one that doesn't believe that Jesus died for all mankind is going to go and tell others about Jesus? No, the church, those that have been saved are going to be the ones that go. We also ought to greet, my friends. We find here that Jesus tells his disciples to be hospitable as they go from place to place. And as part of us going into all the world, we are to greet each person we meet with the truth of Jesus. If we're going to do it, we've got to gather. We, as we go into the harvest fields, we are responsible for those who we lead to Christ. The worst thing that we could do is to go to someone and tell them about Jesus and how they could be saved and then leave them there to just wallow as a newborn infant in Jesus Christ. They need to grow. They need to be discipled. Where, where is that going to take place? In the Lord's house. Unfortunately, I've heard of, of churches that they, are a, they do great jobs of going out into the community and knocking on doors and telling others about how Jesus died for them. And I'm thankful for every single individual that has been saved through those ministries, but they fall short of completing what the Great Commission says to do. Remember, my friends, that the Great Commission is threefold. It is to share the gospel so one might be saved. Then the one that is saved to see them baptized and follow in the believer's baptism and then disciple them as teaching them to do all the things that the Lord has commanded to be done. That's the threefold process. And if I'm only doing one part of it, I'm only doing one third of the Great Commission. That means that we need to be busy about telling others. We need to be busy about gathering them together so that they can follow the Lord in believer's baptism. We need to be busy about discipleship. 
and teaching others how to grow in the Lord. Christians grow mere, uh, Christian growth, I'm sorry, merely begins when a person is saved. That is not the end. It's just simply the beginning. It is a continual process of discipleship that allows a new believer to become grounded in the faith. Whose duty is that to make sure those, those things are accomplished? It's mine. And if you were to be honest with yourself and to be honest with the word that has been delivered this evening, you'd have to say it's yours as well. Because the harvest is great. It's truly plenteous, but unfortunately the labors are few. Why are the laborers few? Because oftentimes we sit back and say, somebody else will take care of it. Somebody else will do the job for me, and I don't have to do it. Now, the Lord has given us the command. What are we going to do with it? Would you stand your feet with me, please, with your heads bowed and our eyes closed? As we enter into this time of invitation, my first question tonight is simply this. How many of us would, know, would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I know that Christ is my Savior. Could I rejoice with you? Just slip your hand up and right back down, hands all across the auditorium. Would there happen to be someone here this evening that would be honest enough to say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Pray for me, Pastor, because I'm not sure that heaven's my home. Could I just simply pray for you this evening? Anybody like that? Then one last question here tonight. Who here would say, Pastor, the message tonight didn't necessarily open my eyes to this truth. I probably already knew this. But I'm willing to admit tonight, Pastor, that the harvest truly is plenteous. But unfortunately, there's very few laborers. And I'm willing and honest enough to admit tonight that the reason why there isn't enough laborers is because oftentimes I've neglected my part to play in being the laborer that I ought to be. And I wonder who here tonight, because my hand's going to be up as well, because I am not perfect by any means, my friends. But I wonder who here would join with me and say, pray with me, Pastor, that I would be the, the, be the laborer that the Lord has, uh, has commanded for me to be. Could I pray with you tonight? Just slip your hand up and write back down. My friends, hands are all across this auditorium tonight. Now, it's one thing to raise your hand in a service and to say, I realize it, pray for me, Pastor. But what are we going to do about it now also? What, are, we gonna, are we going to just commit to saying, Lord, here am I, use me. Lord, here, I'm going to go. I'm not just going to just simply sit back and let somebody else do it. I'm going to go. And if that's the case, then I want to encourage you, if you're able to come to this altar tonight and commit to the Lord that you're going to be the witness that he desires for you to be. If you're unable to kneel here at the front at the altar, right there in your seat, though, that you would commit to the Lord and say, Lord, here am I. I'm willing and ready to be the laborer, to be the witness that you desire for me to be. We've got plenty of opportunities. What are we going to do? Are we going to seize them? Our Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for this word. I ask now that your Holy Spirit would do a work now that only he can do in our hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the people